order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Dr Alan Whitehead. Question one, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister. Thank you. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, yesterday marked one year since the attack on the Finsbury Park Mosque. It was a truly cowardly attack that was intended to divide us, but we will not let this happen. We have been joined today by the Imam of the Mosque, Mohammed Mahmoud, and I am sure members from across the House will join me in paying tribute to his extraordinary bravery and dignity. Mr Speaker, Friday is the 70th anniversary of the arrival of the MV Empire Windrush at Tilbury Docks. It is right that we recognise and honour the enormous contribution of the Windrush generation and their descendants. That is why why we have announced an annual Windrush Day, which will keep alive their legacy for future generations and ensure we all celebrate the diversity of Britain's history. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Dr Alan Whitehead. Could I concur with the Prime Minister with her remarks concerning the terrorist attack on the Finsbury Mosque? And it is right that we should remember uh, that uh, one year on in the way that we are uh, Could I ask the Prime Minister, following the agreements that were signed up to by the UK at the Paris Climate Change Summit, will she now commit to a new UK climate change target of zero net emissions before 2050? Can I say to the Honourable Gentleman that the United Kingdom has been leading the way in relation to dealing with this issue on climate change? It was the United Kingdom that was, I think, the first country to actually bring in the uh, piece of legislation that related to this. And this government, and this government has, and this government has a good record in dealing with these issues. Crucially, we have ensured that we do remain committed to the Paris Accord. To, uh, and I would pay tribute to um, th- those, my right honourable friend, the member for Hastings and Rye, who actually played a very key role in ensuring that that, uh, that, that Paris Accord was agreed to and everybody signed up to it. Simon Hall. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Dorset is the home of the Jurassic Coast, but my right honourable friend will be pleased to know it's not full of dinosaurs. Embrace the day sort of a county. All of my North Dorset constituents want to ensure the safety and dignity of women. As a husband and father, I do too. Will she confirm that we will make the horror of upskirting illegal quickly and in government time? Thank you. Well, I can reassure my honourable friend. I agree with him. Upskirting is a hideous invasion of privacy. It leaves victims feeling degraded and distressed. We will adopt adopt this as a government bill. We will introduce the bill to the Commons this Thursday, with a second reading before the summer recess. But we're not stopping there. We will also ensure that the most serious offenders are added to the sex offenders register. And victims should be in no doubt their complaints will be taken seriously and perpetrators will be punished. Jeremy Corbyn. 
Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. I join the Prime Minister in uh, welcoming my friend Imam Mahmoud 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 for coming here today and for the enormous humanity and presence of mind he showed on that terrible day a year ago when he prevented violence from breaking out on the streets of my constituency. Yes. And I thank him and all the religious leaders in the local community who did so much to bind people together. As a country, we should be bound together in condemning racism in any form, wherever it arises. Mr Speaker, I'm pleased that the Prime Minister mentioned the Windrush generation and I too join her in commemorating that event when the Windrush generation arrived in this country. I hope we, the uh, hostile environment will be put behind us and that we will take this special moment today to welcome a daughter of the Windrush generation as a new member of this House, the Member of Parliament for Lewisham East. She brings enormous experience to this House in dealing with the problems of poverty and dislocation in her borough, and she will make a great contribution to this House. Yeah. Mr Speaker, today marks World Refugee Day, a time to reflect on the human misery of 65 million refugees displaced across the globe. There is a responsibility on all political leaders to both aid refugees and act to tackle the crises and the conflicts that are driving this vast movement of people. Yeah. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister said that there... <laughs> well, thank you. The Prime Minister has said extra funding for the National Health Service will come from three sources – Brexit, economic growth and, tax and the taxation system. Well, there can be no Brexit dividend before 2022. Economic growth is the slowest since 2009. So, which taxes are going up? Well, can I say to the right honourable gentleman, he mentioned uh, a number of issues in uh, his uh, opening question. Can I, can I first of all... Can I first of all take this opportunity? Can I first of all take this opportunity of saying that I was struck when I visited Finsbury Park Mosque after the attack by the very close work that was being done by a number of faith leaders in that community. I commend them for the work that they are doing, that they were doing then, that I know they continue to do, and that we see being done in other communities, including my own community in my constituency in Maidenhead. Um, the hon right honourable gentleman ended up by asking, I think, asking a question on the uh, on the National Health Service. So, shall I? Can I be? Can I be? Can I be very clear uh, about this? We have set out a long-term plan for the NHS. That is securing the future for the National Health Service. We have set a five-year funding settlement. That will be funded. There will be money that we are no longer sending to the EU that we will be able to spend on our NHS. Well, the uh, well, honourable members may shout about this. I know that that issue is not the policy of the Labour Party frontbench. Uh, in relation to money we are no longer sending to the EU being spent on the NHS, the Shadow Housing Secretary called it bogus. The Shadow Health Secretary said it is a deceit. But perhaps I, can tell them, perhaps I can tell them what another Labour member said a few weeks ago. He said, we will use the funds returned from Brussels after Brexit to invest in our public services. It was him, the right honourable gentleman, the leader of the opposition. Mr Speaker, I'm very pleased the Prime Minister is reading my speeches so closely. (laughs) 
I said that the money sent to the EU should be ring-fenced to replace structural funds to regions, agriculture and fishing industry support, funding for research and for universities. Mr Speaker, could I remind the Prime Minister the question I asked was about taxation to uh, deal with her NHS promises at the weekend. Last year, she might care to forget last summer actually, but um, (laughs) she wrote in the Conservative manifesto, firms and households cannot plan ahead with the threat of unspecified higher taxes. By her own admission, households and businesses need to plan. So can she be straight with people? Which taxes are going up and for who? the right honourable gentleman, as I said on Monday, the, my right honourable friend, the Chancellor, will set out the full funding package. We're going to listen to people properly. He will send it, set it out properly before, properly before the spending review. Uh, but I'm interested that the right honourable gentleman has now confirmed that the Labour Party thinks there will be money coming back from the European Union. I have to say, I think that there will be one circumstance in which there will be no money coming back from the European Union. That's if we adopted Labour's policy of debt in a deal at whatever the price. Mr Speaker, at the weekend, the Prime Minister said there will be about £600 million a week more being spent on the NHS in cash. That will be through the Brexit dividend. Well, our net contribution, our net contribution to the European Union is about £8.5 billion a year. £600 million a week is over £30 billion a year. Mr Speaker, her figures are so dodgy they belong on the side of a bus. We expect, we expect, uh, we expect that from the. We do expect that from the foreign secretary. But why is the prime minister pushing her own Mickey Mouse figures? to the right honourable gentleman. He thanked me earlier for reading his speeches. Can I just suggest that he or perhaps his researchers should spend a little more time carefully reading and seeing, listening to what I actually say on his He has claimed, he has claimed that I said that by 2023-24 there would be 600 million more in cash terms per week being spent on the NHS from the Brexit dividend. No, I didn't say that. What I said was the following. There will indeed be £600 million more, around £600 million more, being spent on the NHS every week in cash terms as a result of a decision taken by this Conservative Government to secure the future of the NHS. That will partly be funded by the money we no longer spend on the European Union. And as a country... As, as a country, as a country, we will be contributing a bit more. We will, we will listen to views on that, and the Chancellor of the Exchequer, my right honourable friend, will bring forward that package before the spending review. But I have to say to the right honourable gentleman, if he is so concerned about people's taxation and what they're spending in tax, why is it? that when we increase the personal allowance and have taken nearly four million people out of paying income tax altogether, he and the Labour Party opposed it. Mr Speaker, 
Last night, the Prime Minister sent an email to Conservative members telling them, and I quote, the money we now send to the EU will go to the NHS. The Government's own Office of Budget Responsibility says they won't see any dividend until at least 2023. The Prime Minister talks about a strong economy, but economic growth last year was the slowest of any major economy and already been downgraded this year. So if growth doesn't meet expectations, does that mean this is the question, does that mean extra borrowing or higher mystery taxes? Answer the question. Can I say to the right honourable gentleman, it is the balanced approach that this government takes to our economy which has enabled us, oh they all groan, they don't like to hear actually, that there is, there is a fundamental difference between us because we do believe in keeping taxes low, we do believe in putting money into our public services and we also believe in dealing with our debt and making sure that we get debt falling. What would the Labour Party do? The Labour Party wouldn't have money to put in the National Health Service because the Labour Party would bankrupt our economy. And yes, if we're talking about the amount of money that's being put into the NHS, let's just look at what the Labour Party offered at the last election. The Labour Party said, the Labour Party said that 2.2% more growth, uh, growth for the NHS would make it the envy of the world. Well, I have to say to my honourable and right honourable friends, I chose not to listen to that. We're not putting 2.2% growth in, we're putting 3.4% growth in. Jeremy Corbyn! Mr Speaker, under Labour, the NHS increase would have been 5% this year. And the IFS confirmed that in this year, in this year, there would be 7.7 billion more for the NHS. And what's her offer? A promise of £394 million per week without saying where any of it is coming from, apart from these mysterious phantom taxes that the Chancellor is presumably dreaming up at the very, at the very, this very moment. But, Mr Speaker, <coughs> there is a human element to all issues surrounding the National Health Service and public spending. Let me give you an example. Virginia wrote to me last week and she says, she says, my diabetic daughter has fallen down on four occasions in the last month. She now has both legs in plaster and is being told there isn't enough money for the NHS to give her a wheelchair. Mr Speaker, the IFS studies say the NHS needs 3.3% just to maintain current provision, which I remind her are at crisis levels. Does she think standing still is good enough for Virginia or anybody else that's waiting for the treatment they need and deserve? That's why we are putting in extra money to ensure that we see improved care in the NHS. But can I just remind him what the Chief Executive of NHS England, Simon Stevens, has said of our announcement? We can now face the next five years with renewed certainty. 
This multi-year settlement provides the funding we need to shape a long-term plan for key improvements in cancer, mental health and other critical services. And if he wants to talk about what the Labour Party do in relation to health service, that's where he started, let's just look not at what they say but what they actually do. For every £1 extra we spend on the NHS in England, Labour in Wales spend only 84p. Typical Labour say one thing and do another. Jeremy Corbyn! Mr Speaker, health spending grew by 5% in Wales last year, rather more than in England. Her 3.4% is actually just 3% as it's only for NHS England, nothing for public health budgets, nothing for community health or, vitally, nothing for social care. This is less than is needed just to stand still. And after the longest funding squeeze in history, A&E waits are their worst ever. Four million people now waiting on NHS waiting lists. Cancer treatment target not met for over three years. Nurse numbers falling, GP numbers falling, and 100,000 staff vacancies. NHS trusts a billion in deficit and a 1.3 billion funding gap for social care. The Prime Minister is writing IOUs just to stand still. Until this government can be straight with people where the money is coming from, why should anyone, anyone, anywhere trust them on the NHS? tell the, uh, the right honourable gentleman why people should trust us on the National Health Service. For the 70 years of the National Health Service, for 43 of those years, it has been under the stewardship of a Conservative government. We have, despite, despite taking difficult and necessary decisions on public spending in 2010, as a result of the deficit left by the last Labour government, we have consistently put extra money into the National Health Service. We have now announced a National Health Service plan that gives it certainty of funding for the next five years and working with clinicians and others in the National Health Service, we will see a 10-year plan to improve services and to improve care for patients. But can I say to the right honourable gentleman, he can stand up here all he likes and talk about the Labour Party's plans for money. But what we know is that the Labour Party's plans would bankrupt this economy. And the IFS have said Labour, Labour would not raise as much money as they claim, even in the short run, let alone the long run. In short, their plan absolutely doesn't add up. Conservatives putting more money into the National Health Service. Labour losing control of the public finances and bankrupting Britain. Reports from the Health Foundation across our front pages this week conclude that millennials will face worse health problems than their parents and that a key cause of this is relationship challenges. Yet 31% of millennials say that they didn't have strong relationships and support networks whilst growing up. 
What action is the Prime Minister taking in response to calls for over 60 honourable friends to strengthen family relationships? Yeah, yeah. Well, can I, can I thank my honourable friend for the way in which she continues to highlight this important issue of uh, family support and family relationships? And we are determined to do what, as much as we can to support families. That's why we are providing for high quality relationships education. That's helping children be equipped and prepared to maintain healthy and respectful relationships in their adult lives. The DWP is providing relationship support services to families through the voluntary sector and backed up by, 30, up, by up to £39 million. The Reducing Parental Conflict programme will help councils across England integrate support for family relationships into the local services for families. As my honourable friend says, and as she has said before, children who are exposed to frequent, intent and poorly resolved conflict can experience a decline in their mental health. We understand the importance of supporting families at an early stage. Rian Blackford. Thank you, thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I associate myself with the remarks of the Prime Minister on the incident a year ago at the Finsbury Park Moss? Mr Speaker, many of us in this House will be aware of the deeply distressing audio and images of children separated from their parents in US detention centres. Infants as young as 18 months are being caged like animals. Babies of eight months are being left isolated in rooms. And last night, the former head of US Immigration and Customs Enforcement said he expects hundreds of these children never to be reunited with their parents. Lost in the system, orphaned by the US government. Is the Prime Minister still intending to roll out the red carpet for Donald Trump? Can I, can I first of all say to the right honourable gentleman, I'm pleased to see him in this chamber to be able to ask his, uh, ask his questions. But on the, on, the very, on the very important issue that he's raised of what we have seen in the United States, the pictures of children being held in what appear to be cages are deeply disturbing. This is wrong. This is uh, not something that we agree with. This is not the United Kingdom's approach. Indeed, indeed, when I was Home Secretary, I ended the routine detention of families with children. We have a long and uh, a special and long enduring relationship, long standing relationship with the United States. And I think it is right there will be a range of issues that I'll be discussing with President Trump, uh, a range of issues about our shared interests. And I think it's important that we welcome the, uh, we make sure that when we uh, see the President of uh, the United States here in the United Kingdom, we're able to have those discussions. That means that when we disagree with what they're doing, we say so. Mr. Speaker, I have to say that is a disappointing answer from the Prime Minister. We should all. We should all be unreservedly condemning the actions of Donald Trump, and I ask the Prime Minister to do that. But of course, on the issue of immigration, while the US administration calls it a zero tolerance policy, the Prime Minister calls it a hostile environment. We know that this government detains children in detention centres here in the UK. The UK is the only EU country to detain people indefinitely. Will the Prime Minister today, on World Refugee Day, show some leadership and end her policy of indefinite detention? Can I 
I say to the Right Honourable General? First of all, in relation to the question he asked about what we have seen happening in the United States, I clearly and wholly unequivocally said that that was wrong. Uh, on, the, on the issues that he has referred to in relation to detention, uh, the detention policy here in the United Kingdom, uh, as I have said, he referred to the detention of families with children. We ended the routine detention of families with children. We did that uh, early after 2000 uh, and uh, after 2010. We do, we do on occasions need to detain people, but we take their welfare extremely seriously. That is why, when I was Home Secretary, I, we commissioned, I commissioned Stephen Shaw, the former Prisons and Probation Ombudsman, to look at this issue. As a result of his report, we introduced the at-risk policy, which means that uh, we have a clear presumption that adults who are at risk should not be detained, along with better mental health provision for them. We have asked him to go back again and look at this issue. He has reported. We are carefully studying that report and will publish in due course. Lucy Allen. Thank you, Mr Speaker. in the care system in England rose to a record of 73,000 with huge social and economic consequences. The Care Crisis Review published last week found the drivers of this increase included a risk-averse blame culture and a failure to direct spending to family support. Will the Prime Minister ensure that her children's minister considers the review's recommendations and will she commit to ensuring that state intervention to remove children from families is only used as a last resort? Can I say to my honourable friend, she is absolutely right to say that care proceedings should be a last resort, should be only undertaken after other steps have failed, because we want every child to be in a stable, loving home that is right for them. Um, The sector-led review that uh, my honourable friend mentioned is an important contribution to work that is being done across the family justice system to address the pressure caused by rising public law volumes in family courts, and we are carefully considering the report's findings and recommendations. Mr Speaker, if I can summarise what we have just heard, President Trump has locked up 2,000 little children in cages and is refusing to release them unless he is allowed to build a wall. He's quit the UN Human Rights Council, praised Kim Jong-un's treatment of his own people, turned away Muslims. What does this man have to do to have the invitation she has extended revoked? Order. The honourable gentleman's question was heard with courtesy. Order. And the reply must be heard with courtesy. The Prime Minister. First of all, as I have just responded to questions on the, on the issue of the pictures that we have seen of the behaviour in the United States and the way that children are being treated, which I have clearly and wholly unequivocally said is wrong. Now, on the wider issue of the President of the United States coming here to the United Kingdom, Uh, There are many issues on which members of this House, including his right honourable friend, the Leader of the Opposition, consistently encourage me to raise with the President of the United States. We do that when we disagree with the United States, we tell them so. But we also have have some key shared interests with the United States in the security and defence field and in other areas as well. And it is right that we are able to sit down and discuss those with the President, a President of a, of a country with which we have had a long-standing and will continue to have a long-standing special relationship. Mr Nigel Mills. Residents across Amber Valley are very worried about proposals to build housing on land 
and next to sites where there's known to be contaminated waste tipped in the 1970s. Would the Prime Minister agree that planning guidance should be changed to make clear that a thorough and competent assessment of the risks of that contamination should be carried out before permission is given to build houses on those sites? Well, can I, can I say to my honourable friend, I completely understand the concerns that he's raised on this issue. I've dealt with issues of contaminated land sites and, and development on them in my own constituency in the past. Uh, we do take local residents' safety in relation to contaminated land very seriously, and we do ensure that the guidance is updated, uh, the guidance is updated regularly. And developers are already required to ensure they comply with a host of legal and regulatory safeguards before they build on contaminated land. And we also require that they work in conjunction with the Environment Agency and meet the building regulations to ensure resident safety. Mr Ronnie Cowan. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Government has granted a licence to British Sugar to go cannabis on an industrial scale. And the government has licensed medical cannabis produced by GW Pharmaceuticals, but now they've stalled and they propose a panel should decide on a one-by-one basis who can benefit from medical cannabis. I'm wondering what will happen on day one when 20,000 people apply to that panel. Can the government not see the writing on the wall and move now to provide medical cannabis under prescription to the many, many people who would benefit? Well, can I, can I say to uh, the honourable gentleman... Uh, I first of all want to offer my deepest sympathies to those suffering severe conditions where other treatments have not been effective and the cannabis-based medicines have the potential to help. And I recognise that, of course, people suffering from these issues will want to look to alleviate their symptoms. But it is important that medicines are carefully assessed and thoroughly assessed to ensure that they meet rigorous standards so that doctors and patients are assured of their efficacy, their quality and their safety. And my right honourable friend, as he will know, my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, announced yesterday a two-part review. Uh, We see from the recent cases that we need to look at this carefully, and that will be a review by the Chief Medical Officer, followed by a review by the Advisory Council on the Misuse of Drugs. But my right honourable friend is also acting to set up a panel of clinicians, an expert panel, that can advise ministers on any applications to prescribe cannabis-based medicines. Antoinette Sandbach. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Last Saturday marks two years since the murder of our colleague Jo Cox. Though she is no longer with us, Jo's legacy still lives on through the work done in her name. This work covers many issues, including loneliness. Can I welcome yesterday's announcement on a £20 million fund to combat loneliness? And will my right honourable friend join with me? in paying tribute to groups such as Bright Life and Aid UK in my constituency who do so much to tackle the rural isolation we find there. I'm very happy to join my honourable friend in commending the work of the groups that she has referred to in her own constituency of Bright Life and Age UK and the work that they're doing. She's absolutely right, of course. Saturday did mark the two-year anniversary of the death of Joe Cox, but she's also right in saying that the legacy of Joe Cox lives on every day in the work that is being done on the issues that she cared for, particularly on this issue of loneliness. And I was pleased that we were able to announce the £20 million to combat loneliness. This is going to be used to help bring people together explore using technology to connect those in remote areas and improve transport connections to make face-to-face contact uh, easier. Uh, Jo was passionate about seeing a step change in in the way we deal with loneliness in this country and we're determined to support the continuation of her work after her sad and tragic death. Gareth Thomas. Thames Water and other water companies have profit margins close to 20%. 
paying out annually a huge £1.4 billion, often to overseas owners, that could have been used to cut bills and accelerate repairs. Given that only Welsh Water and Mutual makes no such payments, when might the Prime Minister get behind efforts to double the size of the mutual and cooperative contribution to our economy? Can I say to the Honourable Gentleman that there are many good examples of mutuals and cooperatives who operate in our economy and do so well and provide services to uh, to individuals. Uh, There is no uh, limit on the the number of mutuals and cooperatives who could choose to to be set up. What we want to see is a mixed economy and they play an important part. Bill Wiggin. My right honourable friend will be aware that I have raised the issue of more beds for Hereford Hospital no fewer than 12 times over the years. Can she now confirm that the funding is in place to deliver these much-needed beds? Can I say to my uh, honourable friend, I know he, as he says he has been a consistent campaigner on this, uh, on this particular issue. Um, we have announced over £3.9 billion of new additional capital funding for the NHS up to 22-23. The majority of that is to support the implementation of the local STPs, the Sustainability and Transformation Partnership Plans of the local communities. Um, major projects are under consideration across the country. We intend to announce one large-scale scheme, the size of the Shrewsbury and Telford Plan, every year going forward based on high quality plans but coming forward from local NHS leaders. It is important that these plans are driven by the local NHS but they will ensure better care for patients. Mr Tamanji Singh Desi. Thank you very much. Uh, Mr Speaker, it is said that there is no greater pain than losing your child, especially when it's under circumstances that are entirely and easily avoidable. My Slough constituent Mark Scaife, whose son Michael tragically drowned in the Jubilee River, was shocked to learn that schools are not required to teach water safety and the impact of cold water shock. Does the Prime Minister not agree that, as we are currently in the middle of the Royal Royal Life Saving Society's uh, annual Drowning Prevention Week, now is the opportune moment to discuss this matter with uh, ministerial colleagues and announce the compulsory inclusion of these uh, vital lessons? Can I say to my honourable friend, I thank him for raising this important issue and uh, our sympathies are with the family uh, that he referred to in his question. But we do take the teaching of water safety very seriously. That's why we're supporting the National Water Safety Forum's National Drowning Prevention Strategy, which aims to achieve 50% reduction in drownings by 2026 by encouraging people to stay safe whilst enjoying themselves. We have made sure that swimming and water safety is compulsory in the national curriculum for PE at primary levels, but we do recognise that there is more to do. And we've established an implementation group. We're reviewing the recommendations of the report that is part of the Sporting Future Strategy, which aims to improve the swimming curriculum. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister knows that I as son of a doctor and pharmacist, share her strong commitment to the NHS. Would she reassure me and this House that the additional funding to be provided will lead to measurable improvements in patient outcomes so that this extra money is spent as wisely as possible? As a to my honourable friend, I can absolutely give him that assurance. What we do not want to see, what we do not want to see, is money going to the NHS and not and being wasted or spent on bureaucracy and not actually getting to patient care. And that is why, that is why, it is so important that alongside the extra money 
uh, as part of the 10-year plan, will be working with the NHS uh, on making sure not only that we see better outcomes for patients as a result of this extra money going in, but that we make sure that this money is spent wisely and spent in the interests of patients. Weeks of Northern Rail chaos. Passengers in the north of England have had enough. The government has said Network Rail didn't deliver and that Northern wasn't prepared. But I have been handed emails from within the Department for Transport that show that ministers and officials were warned of impending chaos as long ago as two years ago. These emails are a disgrace. In them, officials describe key northern routes as valueless, discuss classic handling strategies for members of parliament, discuss whether to throw a sop to northern passenger groups, and debate whether to propagate myths in order to divert public attention from agreed planned route closures. Will the Prime Minister explain to this House why she has withheld this key information from us and from the public, or is she so incompetent she literally has not got a clue what is going on in her own government? to the Honourable Lady that she has referred to documents that she has described as being leaked from the Department of Transport. Can I say to her that uh, we do not, uh, no government responds across the dispatch box to leaked documents that they have not seen. Well, she, she, uh, can, I, can I also say, can I also say to the Honourable Lady that in advance of the timetable changes that took place for both Northern and Govia in May, uh, there, were, uh, there was a separate panel, an independent panel set up by the DFT to reassure the Department for Transport about the nature of those plans. Uh, and uh, she met the, the Honourable Lady may shake her head, but that independent panel was set up and that independent panel advised the Department for Transport. Justine Greening. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Is the Prime Minister aware that Birmingham Airport will have 15% fewer international flights than otherwise? Manchester 11% fewer, Newcastle 14% fewer and Bournemouth over 40% fewer international flights than otherwise by 2030 as a result of Heathrow expansion. And How does it help investment in our regions by suffocating the regional airport's growth? Let me say to uh, my right honourable friend, she asks about the issue of expanding Heathrow and the impact it's going to have on regional airports. Can I perhaps just tell her one anecdote? Uh, when we first made our announcement, so the first announcement about the decision on the, uh, the in principle decision on the third runway at Heathrow, I went down to Cornwall and I visited Newquay. And can I say to my right honourable friend that in Newquay they were very pleased and they welcomed the announcement because of the ability it was going to give them to improve their local economy and expand particularly their tourist industry. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister, today 123,000 individuals will visit community pharmacies across Northern Ireland. The pharmacies, as you know, are a front door and a shop window to the health service, telling them that the best way to solve their problem when they have a shortfall of over £20 million is to write to a defunct assembly is not an answer to their problem. What is the Prime Minister able to do for community pharmacists across Ulster today? Can 
I say to the honourable gentleman, first of all, that I recognise the value of community pharmacies. I think everybody across this House recognises the valuable work that they do in communities. And we've, indeed, we've recognised that with our £100 million contribution for a health transformation fund. We will do what we, uh, we have done and we will continue to do what we can in the absence of an executive to protect the delivery of vital public services. The Secretary of State's budget for 2018-19 addresses the key pressures across public services, including the Northern Ireland Health Service, and she will be bringing forward legislation to put the budget position on a legal footing. But I know that the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland will be more than happy to meet the Honourable Gentleman to discuss this issue further. Sir Mike Penning. Can I also pay tribute with the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition to the bravery of the Imam from the Mosque in Finsbury Park? Can I also pay tribute to two people that are also in the gallery today that have shown dignity, bravery and integrity? They are the parents of Alfie Dingley. Alfie has got the licence yesterday so that he can not have so many fits that we know this treatment will give him. Can I thank the Prime Minister and particularly the Attorney General for their input into this, but also try to, with the family to work to make sure we can speed it up for other families, which I know that is the most important thing the family want now. I say to my right honourable friend that I too uh, want to uh, welcome the parents of Alfie Dingley and also commend them for the dignity that they have shown in dealing with this very difficult issue of ensuring that uh, that what they wanted to see available for their son uh, was. As my right honourable friend has said, a licence has now been issued. But it is right, and this is the point of the reviews that my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, has set up, to make sure that the process we have of ensuring that where these drugs are uh, considered and are being looked at, they are going to be uh, efficient, they are going to be um, efficacious and are going to be safe for the patients, that that process is not a long drawn out process because the length of process, as sadly uh, Elfie's parents found, can be deeply distressing. Mr Nigel Dodds. Uh, the EU and Michel Barnier say they don't want a hard border on the island of Ireland, and we agree with that. But on the other hand, yesterday in his remarks on security cooperation, he seemed to be erecting barriers in the way of the best possible cooperation between the UK and the rest of Europe. Uh, the Belfast Telegraph, in its editorial today, says this is a boon. Brinkmanship by the EU is a boon to terrorists. Will the Prime Minister make it clear that this kind of approach is completely wrong, that it appears that the EU is wanting to make Brexit harder for the UK, but easier for those who want to cause damage across Europe? Can I, can I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman that the future security partnership that we want with the European Union is an important part of the deal that we are negotiating with them. I set out our intentions in that uh, security partnership Uh, back in the speech that I gave in Munich at the Munich Security Conference. I fully recognise the importance of the, particularly some of the instruments that we've been able to use within the European Union to the uh, working of uh, the uh, police across the border in uh, Northern Ireland and Ireland and ensuring that those who would seek to do uh, the people of Northern Ireland harm uh, are indeed uh, brought to justice, are apprehended and are prevented from doing so. I am absolutely clear that that security partnership is a key, important and very essential element of what we're negotiating. Dean Vickers. Give us the speaker. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
In the gallery today are two young men from my Cleethorpes constituency, Callum Proctor and Oliver Freeston, both of whom won uh, seats on North East Lincolnshire Council uh, at last month's election. So yeah. Oliver is just 18 years old and is perhaps the youngest uh, councillor in the country. Could I uh, invite the uh, Prime Minister to congratulate Callum and Oliver? And also, would she agree with me that it is this government that provides the policies that allows young people to prosper and be successful? Yeah. Yeah. Can I say to my humble friend, I'm very happy to welcome, welcome Callum and Oliver and to congratulate them on their success in uh, the May local government elections. I think that's very important, the fact uh, that it is under this government and this party that we see an 18-year-old being able to take a seat on the council actually shows, as my honourable friend says, that it is this government that is ensuring young people have the opportunities to prosper and pursue their hopes. And Norman Lamb. <clears throat> the conclusions of the Gosport Independent Panel, which I set up as Minister with the support of the Secretary of State, are truly shocking. Both the fact that there are 456 people who lost their lives following inappropriate prescribing of opioids, and the fact that there was a closing of ranks which prevented families from getting to the truth. Does she agree that there now needs to be an independent and thorough police investigation by another force? Will she also agree to meet with me together with family representatives to discuss the implications of this report? And does she agree that we must never again ignore families in this way and that there must be a mechanism when allegations of wrongdoing are raised so that they are investigated immediately, including the families? Yeah, yeah. I say to uh, the right honourable gentleman, first of all, that my thoughts, and I'm sure the thoughts of everybody across this House, will be with all the families of patients who died uh, as a result of what happened at Gosport Hospital. Uh, the events at Gosport Memorial Hospital were tragic, they are deeply troubling, and they brought unimaginable heartache to the families concerned, but they are a matter of which we should be concerned across this House. And he raises an issue about the way in which the public sector often, in his terms, closes ranks. I think this is one of the issues that we need to deal with across the public sector. And if I may say, I pay tribute to the Right Honourable Gentleman for having established the inquiry when he was uh, a minister. I'm sorry that it took so long for the families to get the answers from the NHS. Uh, I'd like to thank Bishop James Jones and his fellow panel members for what they've done. I'd be happy to meet the Right Honourable Gentleman with Bishop Jones. And can I also say that I think this shows why it is absolutely right that my Right Honourable Friend, the Health and Social Care Secretary, has been putting such a focus on patient safety and transparency in the NHS, because we need to ensure that we do not see these, sorts of, uh, these, these, these things happening in the future. And the findings are obviously distressing. They are deeply concerning. Of course, measures have been put in place to uh, deal with issues, but my right honourable friend, the Health Secretary, will be making a statement shortly. This is Anne Main. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Peak hurricane season is due to hit Bangladesh and the Rohingya in the camps. The UK is leading in aid to the Rohingya. Other countries pledge aid but do not deliver. What more can this government do to put pressure on those countries who renege on their pledges of aid to the Rohingya? Well, my honourable friend has raised a very important point. I think the first point she's uh, raised, which is important, is that this is a country that not only says what it's going to do, but actually puts its money where its mouth is and goes out and helps people across the world, including uh, the Rohingya in the circumstances that she's referred to. We will continue to put pressure on all those countries who say they will do something, but then don't actually deliver the money to ensure that they do. 
Ed Miliband. Speaker, I want to return to the broader context of the question asked by my honourable friend, the member for Luton South. This has been a chilling week, Mr Speaker, for those of us right across this House who believe in values of tolerance and diversity. Not just President Trump, Viktor Orban proposing a new tax on organisations that defend refugees, the Italian government targeting the Roma people. It's good that she said President Trump's policy is wrong, but Mr Speaker, I want her to do more and I think this House wants her to do more. What is she going to do proactively to defend these values? What is she going to do to work with Chancellor Merkel and President Macron to make clear to the rest of the world and the European Union that these, these values that are so inimical, inimical to our country cannot stand? Yeah. Well, can, I, can I say to the right honourable gentleman that uh, we do... We do work with governments across Europe, particularly with the French and German governments, on these issues of migration in relation to Europe. We expect all members of the international community to adhere to international law and commitments to human rights. We, as a government, we oppose extremism in all forms, including when such extremism threatens to damage ethnic and community relations. We believe in the fundamental values of liberty, of democracy, of respect for human rights. We will continue to work with others to ensure that it is those values that are preeminent in everything that we and they do. The Prime Minister's renewed commitment to the NHS is extremely welcome. Recently, the Health and Social Care Select Committee visited the Larwood House GP surgery in Worksop, where generally all patients are seen by the doctors the same day. What more can the government do to make sure that this best practice amongst GP practices is spread across the whole country so all our constituents can get in to see a doctor when they need to? <laughs> my my honourable friend raises a very important point, and one of the principles underpinning what we will be looking to the NHS to do across its 10-year plan is to ensure that the best practice that we see in many parts of the NHS is indeed spread across the whole of the NHS so that patients are able to get the access and the same standards that they need across the, across the National Health Service. I, I commend the work that has been done in the GP surgery that he has referred to in his constituency. This is very important. Uh, and I also commend work that is being done elsewhere to bring services together to ensure that, we, that patients see an improvement in the care and treatment that they receive. Finally for today, Angela Eagle. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The last Labour government oversaw a 5.9% increase in spending on the NHS. The Thatcher major government managed 3.6%. So far, her predecessor, David Cameron, and the Right Honourable Lady have managed 1.9%. Why, therefore, are we meant to be happy and amazed by her unfunded pledge to deliver an increase of 3.4% which is under the annual average achieved since the NHS was first created. This is, as I clearly said from the uh, uh, Chief Executive of NHS England, he recognises that this is, what, this is the funding that the NHS needs. But crucially, giving a multi-year funding settlement based on a, ten-year, a long-term 10-year plan will give the NHS the stability and certainty that it needs to be able to introduce the transformation we all want to see in patient care. And we will also be ensuring that, unlike what happened under the Labour Party, this money will be seen in improved patient care. Order!